Okay. All right, so let me, I got, I have you in six groups. Just for like 10 minutes, you're going to discuss, not even maybe 10 minutes. You can see, can you see those questions? So I've got three on Zawahiri and then three on uh, Bidlan, so group one through six. Just one question each. So focus in um, on each, so the group one's like doing the background personality of Zawahiri. And then group two is radicalization, group three, little history in Pakistan, and just after that. Group four giving us a little bit about Mohammed Bin Laden, why the importance of the story. Group five telling us about personality, interest, and education. Family life in group six is looking at radicalization. So are, so are we six then? Do you want to be six? Well, I just usually we're six. <laughs> yeah, do, have we done six perfectly six groups before? Yeah, we do. Okay, do you want to just do it that way? Yeah, so, like you guys turned around and and all that stuff. So you guys were at group two, you guys were in the back of group three, is that what we did? Okay, and then group four, five and six. Yeah. Can we do it that way? Okay, and if you're not sure, just jump in a group. So literally like 10 minutes, okay? Focus in, discuss, and then come up and pick, pick a spokesperson so you can go through and kind of talk about it. And then we'll take we'll take each of these one at a time, and then and then you guys can talk about what you came up with your group, and then we'll we'll I'll open it up to whatever else you guys want to talk about. Okay, break. <laughs> can you see? Everybody see that? There you go. Are you with us, Chase? There, it's a little better. Yeah, because the name is a little bit more than that. 
Okay, maybe two or three more minutes. So we can have time to talk. Hawaii names. Like you try so hard, but it's like brutal. What's the name of like this other big guy that they killed off? That Osama bin Laden doesn't want to kill off, but everyone else kills him off after Pakistan. Azam. He's kind of the the religious leader. They think Zawahiri killed him. Yeah, that that comes up in another chapter. Um, Zawahiri and, and well, we don't know for sure, but like that's the that's kind of the idea is that like he felt threatened by him because he because he really had Bin Laden's ear, and so they think that maybe he killed him. But it could have been somebody else. Okay, here we go. We gotta hurry through these. So group one, you're doing Zawahiri's background. I don't know. I Zawahiri. Some people say I hear people. Some people say Zawahiri. Other people say Zawahiri. He's a terrorist, so I don't. I don't think it matters if we get it wrong. <laughs> so, what's the background? The basic background here for him. What's the family? What the chapter is called the Sporting Club. What is the what? What call the chapter the Sporting Club? What's the background all about? Who's group one? Do we not elect the? Do we elect the sport? Do we, oh, did you guys both do two? Yeah. Oh, why are they not talking? Okay. Well, let's just open that up for everybody then. Um, it's with the rich people of that side of Egypt, pretty much. Yeah. So wealthy background. 
this the story about Zala here that I really like is uh, when the vice president yeah. like offers him a ride and he refuses. Yeah. That's he was only he was only like fourteen. Yeah, right? that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so you can see like the in terms of like the radicalization and the thought process. Didn't he say like he wouldn't ride with someone who killed Muslims? So yeah. He always argued with every person he like met basically. He's very like argumentative. Argumentative. He becomes a uh, obviously a physician. Okay. He already he already forms he forms this uh, carousel by the time he's fifteen, right? Yeah. So, I mean that I, that goes to show us he's already thinking about this stuff. He's, I mean, in a bad way, he's sort of a go-getter. <laughs> I mean, he, to be a doctor, that takes a lot of dedication. He's already thinking about other things as well. Um, what else? Just some basic background before we get to radicalization. Yeah. He was like sexually frustrated. Like he had a hard time romantically. Okay, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, a lot of these guys do. Yes, that's why I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, Osama bin Laden too. That's like, and, and you know what? Honestly, sorry, sorry for commenting so much, but like both, like they use religion as a way to, to like make up or suppress the sexual. Urge. In fact, in fact, um, our author talks about this in some of his talks that he gives. Is like a theme, as one of the themes of of some of these. Not all of them. Because certainly you have plenty of terrorists that are happily married and uh, <laughs> and all that stuff, but some of them are uh, romantically challenged. Uh, that like influenced them so much to hate American culture because of the, I guess, how romanticized it all is. Yes. So, and then the other the other kind of um, how do I I don't even know how to put this. So Wright talks about it in terms of like because of the way that sort of women are treated in, in that relationship between men and women. Um, and it's, it's so, I mean, it, I, think, I think we, I mean, as LDS folks, we understand you know, we're, not having, we're not having a sexual relationship with someone. We're not supposed to, at least, until we're married, right? So take that from our perspective, and then, okay, now you're supposed to cover your entire body, and, and you're not even really supposed to hang out with girls, and you've got a lot of separation happening in society. So you can imagine, like, the frustration that can come from some of that, right? Um, you know, in our, in, our, in our culture, in our religion, we, you know, we have great relationships with the opposite sex, but we just don't take it to that level until, that other level until we're married, right? So in, uh, in our Middle East culture class, there's a lot of people in here from that class, too. <clears throat> Uh, yeah. Today, just today, we were talking about the difference um, between the pre. So Saudi Arabia was the country that like funded, that kind of like all funded all these preachers that went out and kind of reversed society. Yeah. Like in Egypt, in like the 1970s, women would like wear what we wear here. But then it's interesting because uh, Brother Stoker was in in Egypt during the Arab Spring, and he said that a common theme was that since women have covered up more, there's yeah. been a huge increase in sexual harassment. So like the fact that they're covering up more yeah, that's crazy. to like sexualize them even more. Yeah, that's interesting. So what the the thing that they're they're probably they think they're trying to 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 solve. <laughs> it's gotten worse. So okay, what about group two? We got two group two so you can both talk. 
What, what is the key for understanding the Zawahiri's radicalization? The keys, there's a few th uh, things, I think. Yeah? So there were a lot of events that happened in the Middle East um, that had made it seem to him like uh, Muslims were being basically picked on or put down by the entire world, whether it was you know Israel's expansion yeah. and the U.S. occurred for that or Russia's invasion of Afghanistan. So the, so the, you know now what we're reviewing is history, but the current kind of political climate and some of the things that happened in the past. So that's true for Zawahiri. It's also going to be true for bin Laden. So the history plays a role here. Saeed Kutub was his third grade teacher. Okay. Kutub was... And so we got, we got to have another connection to Kutub here in a second. So Kutub background. And not just the teaching part, but what else? Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, 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 I guess you I can answer good. anything. We'll go back to that. I was just going to say, uh, specifically with events, one that, that I remember was it talked about like the six day war yes. um, and how like a lot of people viewed that as like God punishing them for not being like Muslim enough right. for not being devout enough and so that made a lot of people want to like to, I guess I guess repent and like be more orthodox you know yeah I like that I'm glad you used that word because they're both they're both this is similar to both they're both devout very devout um, to a fault right I'll keep on radicalization here for a minute. He read Kitab, he studied Kitab, so, and Bin Laden did too. We're going to get so his writings. Okay, he ends up in Pakistan, which I think is important, right? Because he goes there really as a medical doctor to help out with the, the people that are being injured, but it sort of morphs into, into some recruitment and interacting with other folks and meeting Bin Laden and, and all that stuff and meeting Nizam in in Pakistan. Okay, so Pakistan, I got that on the board, but we could put that over here too. Okay, yeah? I think it's important to note, like, in his time in prison, how prison. It, it, like, yes. turned him more violent. Before that, he wasn't necessarily known to be a violent person, but, like, he was violent. So, yeah, good. So, similar to Kitab, the radicalization that happens in prison is part of the story, too. I mean, he was sort of a terrorist beforehand, right? But the prison certainly didn't help things. Um, it made it worse. Did I see a hand over here somewhere? Well, no. it was just, yeah, and the, the torture. Torture. That's like how it was yeah. humiliating for him. And he had to, like, rat out all of his um, co-conspirators. Right. And it, like, was a driving force behind, like, okay, his third uh, time event. Also, he started making all the groups together. Yes, emerging yeah. people together. Yeah, and that also caused to happen because he found all these other like-minded oh, people. Like, yeah, so it's almost like... Sure. Initially, like when he's young, he has these ideas, and then as, as he gets older and then in prison, he's bringing people together and sort of coming up with the group that ultimately he's in charge of. Yeah, they're all like, let's go do something. Yeah, good. Anything, I think that pretty much covers it for the most part. Anything else in terms of radicalization? He hated the Soviets. They kind of list like, so I feel like Smithy felt like the Soviets destroyed Egypt. Yeah. Yeah, that, they have that in common too. But yeah, good. So, you know, for him, if you have to kind of pin it down, Kitab, political events, historical events, prison, and then sort of life experiences all led him down this, down this path. Okay, what about the group that had, you tell us a little bit about what happens in Pakistan just after. Well, you kind of basically said it. So he goes there to, to join, I guess, to help these Afghan soldiers who've been wounded. Uh, uh, then he returns in Egypt 
to share these miracle stories, right? Yeah. All these Afghan soldiers are fighting and their bullets are not touching them. Right. All these things. And kind of to get more funding, he gets caught up with the whole history of uh, the president getting, getting killed or something. Yeah. So he gets in prison on that, gets beat, gets tortured. Right. Which turns him from a moderate uh, terrorist to an extremist terrorist. I guess yeah. Because that that's one thing I wanted to kind of highlight is that even when he was 14 and 15 and he was creating these groups, he never wanted revolution. And the book mentions that specifically. He didn't want to go out and kill these leaders because it's going to turn the upside down, the society upside down. But later, after the, the whole torture in prison, he was kind of. Yeah, well, didn't even, it didn't even, is, it's all, for a long time, it's just inside of Egypt, right? And then it morphs into, hey, I'm, no, we're going to join bin Laden and we're thinking about a global jihad. Good. Okay, what about um, group four? Tell us about Mohammed bin Laden. Why are we including him in the chapter? And well, that's where you get all the capital that funds yeah. ultimately the terrorism. So it's the, Mohammed bin Laden's the dad. He is Osama bin Laden's father. And Osama was like, like the, the 17th child and the fourth wife. Yeah. So he, um, Mohammed was very poor when he was born and he fled to Mecca as like a youth to escape poverty. And he they're from Yemen. They're from Yemen, yeah. so like southern Saudi Arabia area. And then um, he became a bricklayer and then eventually got into construction. Sort of and just, then, and then he sort of lucks out, right? Yeah, <laughs> he, he ingratiated himself with the king through the minister of finance. And then after like he did some favors for the king, he got more and more contracts until it kind of just exponentially grew. So I love the story of building the, the lift mm -hmm. for the king's car, right? <laughs> So he can so he can park in the garage and get it lifted all the way up. So he he actually the Bin Laden group actually worked on the three most uh, important religious sites in all of Islam, and 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 we're going to have a story about that when we talk about the siege of Mecca. They have the plans from when they they worked on it to when there's a terrorist attack that happens there. They're going to the Bin Ladens to get the information. Well, it's like it's eighteen billion dollars to yeah. build like the renovate the mosque and. So, you know, and, and he built that. The, uh, the other story I like is how he built this. I don't remember the name. What's the name of the city? The road. To the road, yeah. This really remote. I'm picturing, like, Jackson Hole and Victor or something, uh, but even more remote. So, um, you know, this is, I, I sort of picture him as a, from what's been, how he's described as a, a hardworking guy with, uh, that was known to, like, you know, didn't think he was better than everybody else would go and work with his workers and and he obviously had a little bit of charm or he would have never been able to rise like He's he did. He's a charismatic general contractor who was yeah. super lucky. Yeah, exactly. And hardworking. Yeah, and uh, he dies in a plane crash. Uh, I think the fact that Bin Laden was from the fourth wife and didn't have a ton of interaction with the family other than, you know, I know who my dad is and I'm going to get all this money definitely has an impact on him in terms of his his radicalization. Um, you know, I'm playing armchair psychologist, but if you're 17 to 50, don't you do things just to get attention, right? So I think that's definitely part of the story here. Good. What about um, his personality, interest, education, family life? What do you guys think for that? He was not educated. He was actually hit by one of his teachers and lost his eye, never returned back to school when that happened. He uh, had a very rough family life, like with giving away his wives after they'd given them children to all of his ex, like, or 
gave his ex-wives basically to his employers afterwards, and then yeah, he was on his way to go meet a new wife, I believe, when he was in that plane crash, wasn't he? Or, or we're still talking about Mohammed bin Laden? Oh yeah, are we talking about? <laughs> no, let's talk about let's oh, talk about the son oh. now. Oh. oh, we looked at Mohammed bin Laden's story. Oh, we, we did you guys do group four too? Or did you guys do group five? Yeah, we did kind of a mix. We thought we were talking about Muhammad. Okay, Bin Laden. so let's just open it up. So yeah. let's 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 talk Bin Laden. We we did we did kind of did both. Okay. So uh, something that's important to, to recognize is just like Zawahiri, he like was sexually frustrated. Yeah. And um, he was like insane. He was like like the way I kind of put it. He was that Mormon kid who only watches PG movies or G movies and like refuses to listen to anything besides the Japanese. Well, and then he, st and then he stopped watching TV. Well, for a little while he stopped watching TV. I don't think that lasted very long. Um, it certainly didn't last, um, you know, once he's, in, once he's gone through his late, late teen years into his 20s, he's back watching TV. But he, he's a fanatic from the start. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's all in. So... You know, he seems like, you know, the description, he seems like kind of a fun-loving guy. He's definitely devout. He's, he likes sports, particularly soccer. Um, he likes television and stuff. One of his favorite shows was Bonanza, which was an old Western that you guys probably have never seen. Um, that wasn't even, had, had finished being on TV by the time I was little. Um, and what else would we include here? Other interests? Thoughts? In the book, he talks about there are several moments throughout his adolescent life where he kind of doubles down and, like, one could say, I don't want to say radicalizes, but... Well, it's like the reawakening. Yeah, he reawakens, like, it talks about his fasting, like, his, his obsessive need to fast a certain amount of times a day and stuff like that. Yeah, and maybe we'll just head it in your direction now because that's kind of the... and we'll come back and add some stuff. So, so what specifically about radicalization? Um, we talked about... Um, just kind of going off of that, like he would kind of have these times where he was more intense about his religion. So he, so he quit. He quit watching TV, and he let everybody know that. Yeah. And then, and then he started fasting multiple times a week, which is admirable. And then, and then he started. Play, he kept playing soccer, but he would do it in long pants. So he changed, kind of changed the way he dressed. Uh, he didn't wear shorts anymore. Um, so. And then we talked about his teacher. Um, Ahmed Badim um, and kind of his influence on him um, and he kind of helped motivate him to join the Muslim Brotherhood and that was I mean probably when he joined that was kind of a big change for yeah. him to kind because of, that's definitely more of a radical so the Muslim Brotherhood yeah okay and then we, we also talked about him slapping his brother half brother huh. because his half-brother was, in Osama's mind, flirting with their maid. Right. So, so very, this kind of devout, I'm kind of better than everybody else type thing going on. Um, so, I, I, don't, I just I think I'm not remembering well, or I didn't catch it, but like, where does it talk about him being like romantically frustrated? Because I remember it saying like he was very like devoted to like this idea of like celibacy, you know, uh, before marriage, and then it just says like he got married at 17, and, you know. It's on page 76. It says... Uh, what is this? <laughs> yeah, he was rarely angry except when sexual manners, manners came up. And then on the next page, it says um, about him going out to the na nature to. Oh, um. Well, so think about it. This is my perspective. What, it goes back to what I said earlier. So, you know, not having sex with women or, or, or vice versa is one thing. 
But now, the society's asking you not to kiss them, not to hang out with them, not to do anything. And meanwhile, you've got all these hormones just surging through your body. Um, we've all been that age. Um, some of us a little long time ago, like me, right? Um, where you'd have those surging hormones. It's just, anybody's gonna be kind of feeling that, I think. And then on page 77, that's what it says. It says, uh, it's on top half of the page. It says, in Osama's case, it obviously shielded him from his teenage sexual service. There was also in his nature a romance with the spirituality of the desert, humble and humble and strict of distraction. Okay. So like, turned it into it. So, so it wasn't really something that was like maybe specific or like unique about these two, but it was just something that was maybe like general at that time. And yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not saying. I, I'm obviously giving you my perspective as a as a man who and that it was isn't in a culture that that says that we're not supposed to have premarital sex and we try not to do that, right? Um, at least we get a date and can kiss girls a little bit and hold hands and have, maybe have a relationship that that makes us so we're not so frustrated because because we're being driven by these these emotions that are surging in our body. You, you guys get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's obviously sexually frustrated, and we know that people, and he, he feels this lack of control in that area of his life. And so I think we know that, like, psychologically, when people feel a certain degree of lack of control in one area, they overcompensate in another area. And so I think that that obviously led Yeah. He channeled all that frustration into his devoutness and his. Yeah, life. absolutely. Yeah, good. Okay, I have one question, like, in the entire reading that I just want to, like, throw out to you. <laughs> so, according to the reading, Osama bin Laden, apart from being charismatic and handsome, relatively, and heir to family wealth, he had nothing else going for him. He failed school. He, he dropped. Like, yeah, he dropped out of college. He dropped out of college. Yeah. Like he was having a hard time getting into like employment. So his first. He, he, he's not sure. He's sort of meandering. He's, not he's sure what he wants to do. He's kind of just spinning around. Yes. His first wife is a ranch. But all his other ones are like really accomplished, academically inclined, like intelligent women. Yes. Who have like some of them have families, some of them are like established. Yeah. And like he's attracting these type of women into his life. Like how? So the money, one, I would say the money. He's he's relative. I mean, you guys have seen pictures of him. He's a good looking dude. He's tall, good looking. I think he's char he's fairly charming from all reports as well. He's obviously a he's obviously a natural he leader. Like a rich he seems like he really took care of yeah. So I think that's the stuff that he got going for him. And then one thing that I feel like I've learned from that Middle Eastern culture class is generally speaking, more educated women in the Middle East get married later on and have a harder time finding husbands. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's his last name. Oh, he was a bin Laden. Yeah, he's a bin Laden. So, he comes from a uh, well-known family. He's got means and resources. And, yeah, so one thing we haven't talked about, he goes, so he goes to school for a little while and drops out um, at, at King Abdulaziz University in Jeddah. And he, one of his teachers is Kitab's brother. And then another teacher, his religious guy, is a radical. Um, so that has an influence. Him and his best friend start reading Kitab's writings. And it, to me, you know, someone who really got into music in my teenage years, like I, I'm still really into music. But, but that was the point where like, I was discovering all this new music. And I was like, this is awesome. To me, it's almost like, like that, but he was doing it in sort of the religious realm. He's finding this, these writings and... They're exciting to him and, and all this stuff. But I think that tells the story pretty well. Anything else we would add to the radicalization? 
part of. And then the events, of course. He goes, he goes to fight the Soviets and has those experiences that we're going to read about. And then we'll probably leave it there because we'll, we'll get into the American stuff later. I think just the way his dad treated his wife, though, too, just he, that like really stuck out to him. He's like, I will, that's, this isn't how Islam's supposed to be practiced. Like, he did respect his dad, but the fact that his dad did that, he was disgusted by it. And he, when he practiced polygamy, he specifically says in the book, I'm not going to do it like I did, like my dad did it. He even mentioned how he said, like, I want to practice polygamy so I can show people, like, the right way to do it. Yeah. It sounds like a rationalization. Yeah, no, that's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do it. I want to hold all these Yeah. yeah. I'm going to show you how that's to do it. That's on the way. So it's sort of sad. I mean, he, some of his wife split with him later on, and um, one of his wife, his first wife is with him when he tried to believe in um, Abbottabad when he, when he gets killed. But... Okay, anything else to add? What, so what do you see in terms of maybe the final thought similarities between the radicalization of Zawahiri and bin Laden? The Qatab, yeah. right? That part of it. The, the looking out at the, the historical political events, the impacts of things that happened in their lives. I think it's cool to like learn about this like after we've like been taught kind of like the broad aspects about this and then actually like learning about why it even really happened and like delving into it, it's like, oh, like, okay, this is kind of, I just think it's really interesting to kind of learn about it more. Yeah. It's fascinating. The other thing is, obviously these two, these two guys, um, I'll not call them gentlemen, um, they're, 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 they're mainly bad people, right? But it's like anything else when we're talking about, when I'm in my presidency class, when I talk about Lincoln or, or Washington, who are, who are rightly known as these great men, um, they, they weren't perfect and they had, they had things they did that weren't great. On the flip side, the, the interesting thing about these two is they are actually pretty good family guys. You're going to read about it in the book. Um, it, they have they have some admirable qualities. Um, they just use a lot of this stuff for the for bad instead of good, right? I mean, I, I have no doubt that both of these guys could have could have been great leaders in a positive way instead of negative. So. Well, like with them too, even like the um, the video they watched about the other terrorists. Like they had very kind of neglected childhoods. Yes. And they did it like in turn, like turn that into the family, but like in the rest of the world. Like I suffered so much that I want to be a better person with my family, but everyone else, like they're kind of scum and they deserve to be treated the way that I was treated as a child. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist, but I know enough about those two fields to, to say, you know, bad things can happen when people have horrible family backgrounds. <laughs> And, and then they're in positions of power or wealth, and they can they can sort of get revenge or or whatever. But um, it's it's why the family is important, and why having a good family and a good background and supportive parents, no matter what you do, if you turn out to be a everybody deserves to have great parents, even if they turn out to be a nuthead, right? They deserve love and kindness, and um, when that doesn't happen, it's a bad recipe. So. Or if you don't get admitted to art school, that can also be. <laughs> That's the counterfactual. What if Hitler would have gone into art school and, and people wouldn't have beat him up so much about his art would we have had World War II? So. All right. Okay, um, let's do the extra credit. Do you want to go first? That was good.
Northern Ireland was kind of like the capital, and then the assassination of the Queen's cousin, Lord Mountbatten, and his his grandson, which was a remote detonated bomb while he was on vacation. So those are like some of the major attacks. There's tons of attacks, and like you saw, this went on for 20 plus years. So it's a it's a big issue. So the lessons learned: um, poorly executed counterterrorism operations serve to sustain catalyzed groups. There's a really really good scholarly journal that I found, and they give four causes of why the IRA was successful. They say that misunderstandings of the root cause of violence by the part of the British, unrealistic expectations from the British about the length of time required to solve the conflict, um, intelligence shortfalls that became beneficial to the IRA instead of the English who were using them, and the last is failure to realize how covert actions play out in the public realm. A lot of what the SAS did um, was publicized and people in England and Ireland were, were against it. Um, yeah. And so that's basically the IRA. The, the last thing I'm going to leave you with is the IRA today um, is starting to research Sinn Féin, which is the political party, the flag that I put right mm -hmm. there, is kind of the political arm of the IRA and Irish, Northern Irish nationalism to, to unify themselves with Ireland. Um, they, in July of this year, actually won majority in the Northern Ireland um, like Congress. And with the Brexit, there's, there's um, because of England leaving the EU, and there now it has to be like, a, they're arguing that there needs to be a physical border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and this is like reigniting all that passion. And so the NRA, NIRA, the new IRA, actually got caught with a bunch of guns last year in a raid in a bunch of locations. But we can imagine, that it's going to continue. And the biggest problem with the NRA is the NRA doesn't give up, and the IRA in general doesn't give up. It's England who has to kind of cede to them. Like everything they've tried to do has been unsuccessful, except for power sharing. And the power sharing has led to Sinn Fein being in power now. So that's Thanks. it. Awesome.
hundreds of these people coming from the rally. So they were very easily, they were very easily um, taken over. So they were able to break in around uh, 12 to 11 p.m. They get into the west side of the Capitol building. Um, they get into both the, they get almost into the house and they get all the way into the Senate floor. Um, eventually the uh, National Guard comes and they're able to get them out. But at 4.17 p.m. Trump tweets a video that you've probably seen where he tells the rioters that he loves them, urges them to go home. Um, so the aftermath is that five people, including a Capitol Police officer, died and over 100 were injured. Okay, this is from the New York Times. They have a really good, uh, Okay, so then I think it's good to go over the demographics. There are 267 alleged participants that have been charged in federal court. They range in age from 18 to 70 years old. 33 participants had known military background, which is an issue that we'll talk about more later. Um, they, there's kind of different levels of people that were there. Some people uh, were just kind of on their own and were inspired by things that were said at the Save America rally and went ahead and um, committed the uh, attacks on the Capitol. But some of them were part of these domestic terrorist groups. Uh, the group of centers, Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, and at least 20 of these people that were arrested were affiliated with the Proud Boys. Um, so what kind of motivated them is the spread of misinformation online, um, mainly about the 2020 presidential election, uh, spread being by, being spread by multiple sources, including even the president. Um, so this, this 2018 MIT study that found that misinformation is 70% more likely to be created than factual stories. And a 2017 study of right-wing violence in Europe found that people were more likely to be violent when they felt that the democratic process had been undermined, which is what these people thought. They thought that the election was stolen. Um, so here's a tweet that came out the day of the announcement. After they had already broken into the Capitol, Trump said, these are the things and events that happened, and a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously stripped away from great patriots. Um, so he does talk about, like, go home with love and peace, but he's agreeing with them, saying that these are the things that happen when an election is stolen, which it wasn't, it was the, the claim of election fraud being wrong. Um, so Rudy Giuliani, who spoke before Trump, demanded a trial by combat to settle the election. So then there's this go home, we love you. Okay, so then lessons. There was a failure to share information between intelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and then the actual Capitol Police's intelligence um, were just getting so many claims that this could turn violent that they kind of drowned it out and didn't really do much to prepare for the rally. So things that we can do to potentially stop something like this from happening again is Congress can establish a um, commission to kind of examine the scope of national security. But then as I mentioned before, it's really concerning the number of people who are involved in this that are um, having military experience and organizations like the Oath Keepers, domestic violent uh, terrorist groups go after people who have that military experience um, so I think that the, the Department of Veterans Affairs, 
need to do something to work to combat extremism in their communities. Okay, so then the conclusion. In his testimony, a Metropolitan Police officer said, I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them, but too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that I actually wasn't that bad. He was tased several times. He went unconscious. He had a minor heart attack. And then members of Congress go on to say that it looks like a normal tourist visit. Tourists weren't even allowed at the time because of COVID. So it's not a tourist visit. They broke in. It's terrorism. Yeah. Um, so they're continuing to undermine that there wasn't an insurrection and that it wasn't terrorism. So this wasn't a tourist visit. People came in with zip ties. People here wearing the, the orange hats. That's the Proud Boys. Um, so basically to get change, we need to reach across the aisle and have everyone acknowledge that this was terrorism and that we should be united against that. Um, so from Brookings, about 45% of Republicans surveyed after said that they were in favor of the attack. Um, so this is a good uh, resource sort of a documentary. You can watch this. It has a lot of visuals recorded by the mob themselves that they uploaded, um, <laughs> kind of condemning themselves. But um, so they show a lot of videos of the actual mob, so it's a really great overview. Thank you. I just watched it. So I hadn't seen, I've seen some of the footage. I think seeing the footage is actually really helpful. I, I had, I'd seen some of it, but I just watched the two hour documentary on, on the January 6th Capitol siege. And, and watching the footage is really interesting. One, you see, you see a lot of the, a lot of the efforts to stop people from getting into the, into the Capitol and then how they actually did and then what actually transpires in there. Um, they actually just sentenced, the, the longest sentence was just given out to a guy who attacked a police officer. He's got four years in jail. I think it came down yesterday. Um, so I, I was glad to see you write a paper on that. Thanks for presenting a lot of stuff. But, that's all. Yeah. I got it on HBO. I'm trying to think of the... Let me, let me see if I can get the title for you. Thanks. So, oh, so it's four hours of the, at the Capitol. Four hours. Four hours at the Capitol. Um, I think you have to have. I have. I got HBO Max to get all the movies that are coming out. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, if you watch. I mean, I know. You know, of course, anybody with this have a brain knows of it's a normal process anyway. But like, it's helpful to see the footage and and get the perspectives of all the people interviewed and and all that. So, I mean, they were we're real fortunate that they they didn't. One, they should have evacuated the legislators quicker. Because in the Senate, they 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 basically waited too long, and then they had to like they were like sheltering in place until they could get a get a get a time they could get everybody out of there. The House got away quicker, um, but there was an, there was this one of the security guys led the protesters the wrong direction, um, which which helped. And then they made a stand, of course, outside of the I think it was the House where the one gal from Arizona got shot. Um, it was it was brutal, man. 
There were also like some legislators who were like in their offices who like yeah. didn't even know where to go. Oh yeah, no, no. they have interviews with like the interns or, or interns and like people that work for members of Congress that had to like pull up in their they were like bawling about this thing because they thought they were gonna die. Well, like in AOC, like she mentioned, she was like, "We had like like just like a police officer came in like knocked on the door and said like you have to go and they're like, where do we go? Like what do we do?" And so they just kind of like wandered around until they found like another person to talk to. I don't think it's I don't think it's unreasonable to think that there was there were a few people in the building that if they could have gotten to a Nancy Pelosi or an AOC would have done damage. Yeah. Would have done something. Fortunately, that did not happen. But yeah, there were. I mean, and yeah, there were a few people in there that probably walked in there and were just being stupid and kind of got involved in Yeah, but but I think but there were plenty of people that knew what they were doing were there um, to cause mayhem. And yeah, it's a beautiful bill. I've been in it. It's beautiful. If you get a chance to go see the Capitol, do it. It, the thing that was interesting to me is it's like it seems it so it seems so big from the outside, but the hallways are like kind of small. But the, the architecture and the art in there. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just give you a day to do it. I haven't gotten any emails from you actually. Oh really? Yeah. From the announcements? Yeah. Weird. So just or just talk to me and shoot me an email through my roast tea. And then I'll just email it back to you. We have, well, Monday would be the only day, day next week because we're, um, we're online Wednesday and Friday. So if you want to do it soon, I would shoot for Monday. If not, let's do it right when we get back to Thanksgiving, either Monday or Wednesday. So. But yeah, that it was good to watch that documentary because, I, I mean, I already knew quite a bit about it, but it's just, it's helpful to see that actual video. I, I just looked and I had forgotten that that was only this year. It felt like yeah. it was last year. Yeah, it just happened. Yeah. So it's weird. This year has been a There's a huge like kind of battle. You know where the president comes out during the inauguration, that tunnel? Yeah. Um, there was a huge battle between the Capitol Police so and the protest, yeah, the where they got the cop they got the cop yeah. guy for a minute. And he's lucky he didn't die. I cannot yeah. He's I lucky. He, the only reason he didn't die is there were a few people in the crowd that were like actual responsible people that were like, Let's yeah, yeah, let's get this guy back. But um, 
Yeah, it was it was wild to kind of watch that, that footage. Was, that was scary to me. Because you know there, it was basically like maybe forty or fifty cops trying to trying to stop a huge crowd from getting in this narrow hallway. They were like, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. yeah. Was this during January 6th? Yeah, we were just we just had a presentation on it in my terrorism class. It's like you're in the Oh my, really? <laughs> so I'm gonna run now. <laughs> oh, there's also in the picture. I'll check. Oh, they're gonna come back with me. As long as you didn't enter the building illegally, you should, it should be fine. Or didn't hit a cop. Yeah. But it was wild. I mean, it, and it, it was it was wild. They had all the, you know, of course, all the all the, the sprays going, and yeah. I mean, the other thing is you might by, by it took. It did take them a little while to get in. There was some decent. I mean, it wasn't great, but there was some decent yeah. resistance. Um, but but if you would have known, you would have had full riot protection and everything, and they would have never gotten into it. Um, and then they had to kind of go a different way, and then they were able to go. There was like um, a few, only a few security folks on the one side, and then they were able to break through that, and then they were breaking. They were breaking doors and windows to get in the building. Curious um, how much security has changed. Then. It's probably and like the whole 9-11 thing all over again. But, and, just, and then once they got in, they, I mean, they fortunately they, they, they didn't know really, I mean, the one thing is they don't really, I mean, it's not planned in so much that, that uh, you know, some people definitely wanted to get in the building, but it was it was also spontaneous because they didn't even know where the the chambers were. Yeah. I mean, they're looking, people are like, and so fortunately that's a little time. And then by the time that's all happening, you're getting some arm, more armed folks in the building. But there was that one officer, like you see the video of him kind of just like leading them up the stairs, yes. you know? And it, it was because he was like trying to lead them away from correct. the chambers, yeah. Yeah. But and then like I said, they evacuated the, the, the house folks got out early. And then the Senate, they didn't get everybody out, and there were some people like in the top part of the Senate chamber that couldn't get out, and then they had to make a special route. Apparently and apparently there's like kind of a hiding spot in the Capitol that they won't talk about that I think they took a lot of people to. Um, but They probably have lots of hiding spots. Yeah, and there's a lot of tunnels and stuff um, all through DC, actually. Is so, it like Salt Lake City? Just it's like Salt Lake, it's like Salt Lake City. But like I said, I've been there, it's a, a beautiful building, and I've done the, I've had, a, I had students that work there and intern there. And, have you been following the Travis Scott? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. What's going on with that? They, like, what did they find out about these shots? Thank you. The shots. Did you hear that there was, some, there was some, there was a report of like some people getting poked with a shot, and and that's why they panicked. Yeah. Well, we watched a video about it today. My friend was in this class, and they were just talking about like kind of like the new update with everything, and like with Travis Scott already, you know, like his concerts are already crazy. Every concert that they already kind of expect the fences are going to be pushed down by all the kids and okay. they, they climb over them. And so it's already crazy. But what was getting out of hand was the fact that they were telling staff that people were actually getting pummeled and dying. And the camera crews were like, no, get off me. I'm going to keep recording. I've read that show. story. I've read that I mean, story. I saw some clips of that, actually. So the guy was like, I'm literally trying to help save this girl. And this guy is what is recording the, the concert still not caring about this at all. And so there's like a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, I saw the clip of them where they're trying to get up on a stage to tell them. And, and uh, they're like, stop the concert. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see what kind of comes out about that over the next couple of days.
If everybody starts rushing and panicking, though, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because there's not a lot you can do once that starts. Well, at, so at like 4 p.m., they started letting people into the actual concert, and they had stormed just that part, and people were getting trampled, just like entering into the actual concert about six hours earlier. And so then they were getting trampled. So, and you can see there's no security, the security guys just pulled back and figured that was going to happen, and they weren't going to deal with it. And there was people that actually quit. Did they, did they, are they still at like the number of, did they up the people that have died? Is this one eight, 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 eight people still? Yeah. But yeah, yeah and especially anytime you don't have a sign seating. Um, yeah, that might be kind of it's big, these big concerts or big festivals. Well, it sounds like to me he sort of built this culture of, and I, I mean I know who he is. I'm not super, f you know, familiar with his. Yeah, his, his, his concerts are all based on the premise that they offer. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. There's there you go. Chaos and anarchy. That's what you get. Yep. Yeah, you shouldn't have.
Thy spirit will be with us in this class and you know, to listen and to understand the things Brother Rose has prepared for us. And we're grateful for the time and attention you put into these classes. And they say these things in Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. So, Friday, you're watching a frontline documentary on the Flint water crisis. It's really, I mean, I'm a front, you guys know I'm a frontline. So, you may get a one. You may just enjoy it. You may get a question on the test, like, "What do we watch?" or "What's it about?" Watch this for your intro to public administration class. We just read it. Oh, we just read it. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. I gave you a reading on this. It was a reading for us. Yeah. Yeah. On Flint, it must have been a one. I I don't typically do that. I must have just given you something. I can't. I don't remember. Because it's not one. It's not one of the. I know. I know. I read something on Flint or watched. Yeah. Did I make? I didn't make. I didn't have some of you guys watch this at three thirty, did I? Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you start watching it, you're like, oh, I've seen this before. Pick another. Pick pick something from the list of extra credit <laughs> stuff related to yeah, you watch, but yeah, you should. It's good. Okay, let's talk today. We're talking about recruitment and selection for a minute, and then you have the activity. So it. I'm excited to talk about this today because we're, we're actually going through this process. And I, just shut that door. Um, I've been, I've been here since 2007. Brother Adamson and I came as the first two professors in the new department when they made it a, a when they made it a new major. We did in phases. We did three phases Which throughout the whole university. So political science. Okay. Yeah. So. They, when they went to a four-year school, they did three phases. We were in the second phase. They hired, they hired him and I, and his brother and Evan just passed away this summer. Um, we've been here for years and years. Um, there's a picture right there. Uh, this is his room. <coughs> so we, so I've been here since everybody else has come. So all the, all the, all the permit. We had a couple people that have been permanent now that left. Um, we had a female professor named Ruth Moch that was here, and she's gone now. She. She left, um, and then, then David Campbell even that left, and then all the one-year hires and all that stuff. So, in all of, in a word, gosh, what are we now? Like eight? There's eight of us now, um, I think. 
So I've been part of that process multiple times of like the hiring. We're going, we're going through it again now, trying to find a replacement for David Campbell. So anybody have David Campbell? Yeah. Apparently his wife hated Rexburg. Toronto, Rexburg. Toronto, Toronto. The New York. Um, I don't know. <laughs> You, you, can, you know that I'm not living in Rexburg. That's very intentional. I don't missing a lot, too. So anyways, I, I do know a little bit about this, but that's fun to talk about. Um, and, I'll, and I'll relate it back to what we're going through now with, with school. Basically, you know, we put, our, we put our application out, and we have, we're looking at 32 applicants right now for this one position. So it's pretty competitive. Um, we're, we're basically looking to, to hire someone that the top of the name classes is Brother Campbell, so someone in international relations, comparative politics. So the way that we, and this was helpful, the way that we did it last time when we hired him is, we, there was no decision, but we did some video conferencing um, within our initial, so we're paring it down from 32 to like probably 10 or 12. Just looking through the applications and the, and the resumes and, and uh, cover letters and all that stuff. Turning it down to 12, and then we're going to do short Zoom calls with the 12 um, that we have. And then after that, we're supposed to get it down to three to come to campus and then two alternates. So, and then the three come to campus, they teach. We, we, we rake order them with our alternates, send them up to the administration, and then usually we get our number one. Um, they, they have a meeting, they decide it goes to Salt Lake, they're approved, or not approved. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. And you have to do an interview with the general authority uh, as part of your... I had seven interviews when I got hired, so... Well, the general authority ones are interesting because it's... They, they don't really... They just kind of get to know you, make sure you're not a little candidate. So, <laughs> I, I talked to Elder Chris Alvarez and uh, he's asked me about family and like what I was reading and what I like about political science, that kind of stuff. There's kind of sense of, of, of the person. They're really just, they're, what they're doing is like they're using the spirit to try to make sure that you're okay. I've been in, some, I've been in, I've been in a couple of state president interviews. Because uh, I, I was on the High Council, so if you're on the in Idaho Falls, if you're on the High Council, you're automatically up for potential state president when you get a new state president. So I did that one, and then some. I don't know who it was. I'm gonna break their face when I figure out. Someone recommended me for state presidency up here, and so I was in the mix for another one. And they, they the same kind of interview. They just bring you in. They don't ask you worthy of questions. Just bring them out to you That's how we do it. We'll get it down to three. Bring the campus teach, and then we'll have some final. We actually all have one vote, and then whoever gets the most votes is first place. First, second, third, send them up. And like I said, usually one time, one time we had our first, second, and third, and they said, and "I'm not going to tell you who it was, but so don't ask." Um, one time we said, "Here's our first and second, and they said you get both." And when we only had one position because we lost the second place. And every other time, every other time, it was always like the first person that, that we had on the list got hired. So um, that's our process. But let's talk about what the chapter um, says about this. 
It's not easy. <laughs> One thing I think that helps, and, and I wish we would even do more, I mean, we put it out uh, pretty broadly, especially with like the church websites and things like that, and get the word out. Um, in our field, there's, there's, there's some journals and, and papers and things where you can advertise that are good to get the word out. So that, that's true of in public administration, too. You know, getting out in, the, in, in journals and on websites and just catching a broad net to make sure your everybody sees it with things that can apply. Okay? Um, what are illegal questions? What are, what are some illegal questions you can't ask in the hiring process? Does anybody know? Political ideology. So political ideology could be one, yeah. We can ask it, but kind of. Sexual orientation. Sure, yeah, sexual orientation. Uh, what about, can I ask women about like whether they're going to have kids? Oh, yeah. <laughs> are, are you getting pregnant? Um, you got to make sure you get, cover your bases on that. You want a good pool of applicants, of course. Good advertising comes in. Social media, LinkedIn is, is, is a good place for that. Focus on relevant professional associations, university programs. Um, help the reach out, we do this too. So if we know people, like we all, we all have different connections at different places and, and we reach out to people and we all, every time there's a new job, it, some of the people that have applied are people that we reach out to say, hey, you ought to apply for this. So, um, this mix, we've got somebody from the University of Kansas you can get to, who has the Kansas record? It's Miles, right? Miles on Kansas. So that helps as well in getting a good pool of candidates. Have you guys have you guys ever been part of like a hiring process with it, anywhere you've been or just just the ones applying for the jobs? <laughs> it's a, it's fun to kind of see um, from the other side. It made it made me appreciate how lucky I am to, to have gotten the job. Like, oh man, look at all these great applicants and they can all they've all got great backgrounds and they can all teach and well, they can't all teach, let's be honest. <laughs> I know because I've had them here, and it's funny because you think you bring them, you, you see them on paper, and then we've had a few people we brought in that just, they got up in front of the class, the class and it's like they're not good teachers. So then it's like, we're not, it's not happening. Because ultimately, you have to be a good teacher. That's the most important thing, right? How do we screen in the first phase? I just gave you some of our secrets. You know, you're going through. Uh, I, I've had people tell me that I've talked to in, in New York City in, in particular that um, they'll go they go straight to like the cover letter and, and that's a way to to kind of parse out candidates and look at that cover letter and see how that's written how they're justifying wanting to work for the situation. I just did this and I I mean I didn't have a lot of time. I, I was like I gotta get this done. I have 32 applicants. I have about an hour I can spend doing this. That's not a lot of time for 32 applicants. So what do you think I looked at? I looked at the resume or the CV. I looked at the cover letters real quickly, and I'm trying to match up. You know, are they? Do they have the qualifications? Do they meet the needs of what we're trying to hire for? And then that's how I'm. So we always have in our field. We always have a few people that we always have lawyers that want to apply. Not that we would never hire a lawyer, but only if it was like maybe they maybe we had a job where they're going to teach into the law, or, which we don't even have anymore, or judicial branch or something like that. So. Those people get excluded pretty quick. Then I had we had a few people that aren't done with their 
their doctor's degree, that they need to have a doctor's degree. You can actually include those really quick, and that helps kind of pare it down. And then matching up, this is an IRCP position. This person's not necessarily the perfect fit for that, and that's kind of helps. That's kind of what you do. Um, you know, ask a series of probing questions on skills and qualifications to weed people out. That's what we're going to do in our Zoom calls. Um, I, I, it's interesting. We used to we used to ask for letters of recommendation here at BYU Idaho, and and we're we stopped doing that. So that's an administration thing. Nobody I, there were no letters of recommendation in this most recent, which is weird. I like the letters. Um, scoring systems is one way they use to, to do this. So, uh, you know, to pair this out, um, list their skills, education, abilities. So scoring system, like, we have our, we have our applicants and, and, like in the example of the teaching, one, one app thing might be, um, you know, just looking at the CV or the resume, do they meet, do they match up, do they have the background we need? And then another thing might be, okay, how, how good of a teacher are they? Okay, that's a separate category. Third thing, how, how do we think they're gonna get along with the department? And that's important for us, because we don't want to bring somebody in that's not gonna get along and cause problems, right? So if you have, for us, those three things, you know, how do you weigh each of those and you can kind of score that one. So that's, so that's sort of how we do it in our, for ours. Um, some, some organizations will use a test for the initial screening as well, sorry. Um, work samples, assessment centers. Um, work sample, you complete a task that they might do on the job. For us, it's the, it's the teaching that they do, right? Assessment centers are simulated work experiences. I just read this article the other day. I don't even know how I got on it, but I think I was looking They were saying they were saying that like interviews, some some organizations are even going away from interviews and like basically having employees do tests of things they might be doing on the job to to get their scoring to figure out whether they want them or not. Because an interview, how much does an interview really tell us? Maybe not a lot, right? Wouldn't it be more effective to say, hey, go do this thing and then this thing and we'll see how you do and then. I mean, I, I will say this. I mean, interview interviews are good. Interviews have, have sometimes told us we definitely don't want this person. <laughs> right, right. Just what they say in the interview is surprising. But um, on the flip side, I don't. I don't know that it, if they're if they're just a good candidate. I don't know if you can separate good candidates out by the interview that well. Right. So maybe it's an elimination. So hypothetical problems, things like that. So like if we're if it was someone like applying for like like say we're in, we're we're in charge of hiring a new city manager for a city, you know, why not why not say hey here's here's a case study or a, or a task how would you deal with this that's part of their application process? And I think that tells you a lot, right? That's one thing to be thinking about if you're ever in charge of HR stuff. Okay, certification and veterans preference points. Um, usually we'll narrow it down to five to 10 individuals, and then that's exactly what we're doing. The best of these will be invited to the interview, three to five. Like I said, we're doing, we do, we're doing three to campus, and we fly in here and so they drive or whatever. Um, and they have a bunch of different interviews all around. 
campus. So we do, there's an interview with, gosh, you do the department, you do like the HR folks, you do uh, a couple of interviews in the administrative um, almost all government jobs have a policy of providing advantages to veterans when they apply for jobs. So they usually get like a five, when they're on a form system, they usually get a five, and if they're disabled, they get a ten point. The nice, it's a little something you can do for, for veterans, which is cool. Features um, that have specific rules for how to, how to deal with Interviews are unstructured discussions, but that doesn't always mean they are, there aren't key questions that should be asked. Interviews allow for assessment of skills and, and abilities, but also personal characteristics and social skills. They must not discriminate on the basis of race, religion, gender, age, etc. Why do you want this job is one of the most critical questions. Have you guys gotten asked that before? Yeah. Here, yeah. So Provo, I mean, I don't know what they're doing right now. I know they have had some non-member professors in the past, but typically yes. And yeah, but for us, you have to be. You have not only that, you have to be a Temple Recommend holder. Uh, if, if, if your if your Temple Recommend isn't current, that's a problem. Yeah. So so I don't know because I I think. Most of us are great that way, but I assume that they would want to know why that is, and you might there might be a probation period, and if you don't get it figured out, <laughs> we'll see you later. Those guys, those people in the black suits, come and see you away. So yeah, good question. You have to be a member here. So um, that's definitely a and and uh, I have a lot of incentive to, to keep my temple recommend current. That, that, I, this isn't part of the, necessarily, this is kind of a side note. It, that presents interesting dilemmas for us here in particular. Because, and it's something we, as we move forward in terms of our administration, we, want, we might want to address. I don't know, because here, you know, let me give you a scenario. Um, somebody at BYU Idaho who, for, for most part of the group, well, people make mistakes, right? A good person does something stupid, has an affair. Right, they're going to get probably excommunicated or severely punished, depending on if, especially if it's the, it's the man that initiated the affair, um, and they're going to lose their job and everything all at the same time. I think that's harsh. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what the answer to that question is in terms of our our own position here. Um, I think that's pretty harsh. Um, something to think about in terms of. You know, maybe how do we handle handle that moving forward? Do you have to be married to work here too? Is that one of the criteria that? No, not no. Um, now, the seminary we're not we don't have seminary, but the the okay. institution folks that's that's different. Okay. And in fact, I know somebody really well that lost that they asked to no longer teach here because his wife basically blew up the marriage um, from some she she had an affair. So she had an affair. It wasn't even his fault. He was her teacher, and he had to leave. I don't care though. It isn't. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. There, there's some things in terms of how we our process. Like I would see the crap out of anyone who 
Well, yeah, that, and that's the other, and that's the other thing I think in terms of like that's relevant to our discussion here is you're opening yourself up for lawsuits. Um, oh yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure they're sued all the time. Actually, <laughs> every big organization gets sued. Um, yeah, so that's one where I was like, "Ouch, that's not a good look." Yeah. Especially like, okay, so let's say you're at fault, you had the affair. That's one thing. But your wife, his wife, I, and I know. I, the reason I know is because um, the guy's wife is uh, her brother's my brother-in-law, so I'm like, I know them really, really well. So it's like this poor guy. Not only did not only did he, you know, have this bad thing happen to him, like, they, they have this eight kids together and all this stuff, and. And they, so it has sort of a happy ending. He's teaching in seminary right now, but just not here. And then he got remarried to a professor here. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, that's kind of harsh, right? So we, yeah, so, we, so we're private. So we're not, this is, we're not talking to government here. So we have our own rules. So that's why we can get away with those. You have to have some recommend, you have to be a member. And, and all these, all these, because you can never, you can never get away with that in the, obviously in the public sector. You can't, you can't, you can't. Sure, yeah. And that's, and the other, the, the defense of that, of that is, look, we know what we're getting into. We apply here. We know what the rules are, right? Before we even get here. So, um, that's that's one thing. But, but I just think it's an interesting discussion. There are some inherent. Things that moving forward, I think some of the policies that we have could maybe be a little bit better. And um, I was talking to, I don't know how common that we, so we have, so we have a little dilemma right now because we have, we have Lynetta Newswander, who's Chad's wife. You guys already know this, some of this. She's in the pool. So that's tricky. We also have a nepotism policy, which, you know, you know what nepotism is. But I was talking to Brother Adams, and I'm like, I don't think this nepotism's that fair, particularly for women who are married. They're in the same field, and she moved here because of him, and so therefore she needs to be excluded just because of that. So we were having this discussion about it. So it's always there's always these policies where you have these problems that come up. Um, and then that puts a lot of pressure on us because he's in our department. His wife has applied for this job. He he bailed out of the. He's not going to be part of. He bailed out of the discussion completely. Good thing he should. You can't be part of the hiring process if your wife has applied for the job. And then we're feeling all this pressure because we're like, oh, and I've been through this before because we had a professor in here who's not here any longer, and his son made it to the top three. And they didn't get hired. And it caused some hard feelings. So, like, oh gosh. The limits, right? So, um, and she's great and everything. Um, we'll see. We'll see. The one thing, um, well, I, I can't disclose too much about her. But, <laughs> but the one thing is, we do know we, she's she's teaching here, so we know um, as an adjunct, we know we know she's a good teacher, and and we'd love to have her. But we'll see. Right? There's not a lot of good applicants. So it makes it tricky. Um, how long do they have to do adjunct before they they're, they're like a professor? How does that work? It doesn't work that way. So. You don't have to. You don't have to ever even have taught to be a full time. There's not a process of going from adjunct to. They're separate. Yeah. 
So, so it turns out that a lot of people that apply for full-time professor jobs taught somewhere as an agile. I did even. I taught at College of Eastern Idaho for years while I was playing. Yeah, so anyways, yeah, I think I think that's difficult. So what, I, what I'm saying in terms of the nepotism, I was telling Brother Addison this, it's almost like, you know, there ought to be a separate, a, a less harsh nepotism policy for spouses. Because she's worked for her degree all these years, and she comes to this little town called Rexburg that has one university. We're not in Boston. You can't go work at a different university. Um, so I think we, that's something to think about as well. And she's a female, and there's certain challenges that there's certain challenges in terms of getting female faculty to campus, especially like a campus like this. I can't get. I'm trying to recruit females all the time to apply for these jobs. They, they're not leaving because they have. They're usually married to a husband who has a job somewhere, and they're not. They're not going to be the one that uproots the family. Does that make sense? So, anyway, because obviously we are lacking in females. The only two, we had one, uh, and she was great. She, she left for health reasons, but um, history has two. So out of all our big department with geography, political science, and history, we had two females in like, what, 20 plus professors. Not, not super diverse. <laughs> We're trying, though. We really are. OK. So probation is the. Um, period, the process isn't over even after the job has been offered. Um, oh, let me finish up on interviews. It's important that if you're, if you're one getting interviewed, have a couple questions to ask them. It shows your interest and um, things like that. Any other thoughts on interviews? Okay. So once you, once you haven't been, I mean, it's not over, there's a probation period that to make sure you're a good fit and you like the work. Standards and tests, whether formal or not, may be part of this phase. Once a person passes this period, the normal rules, protections, procedures, and standards for dismissal. So for us, in, and this would be true of any public professor at ISU or Iowa State or wherever, that period is the pre-tenure period, right? So ours is shorter than most places. Most places it's seven years. Here it's four. So, and then obviously, as I talked about, it's a little, it's not as strong. It's a little easier to to fire us. Um, we're not public. So let's let's say I get up I get up every day and I start talking about strange, weird, false doctrine. I mean, they can be, my tenure is not going to protect me from that, right? They're going to be able to get rid of me. So, of course, pigeonhole me in another department. That's never happened. We've never had religion to just move to other departments. <laughs> they were saying something. Okay. Um, any questions about this period? Okay. That's pretty much it. Any final thoughts? I went on a little too long, but I was giving you guys an inside baseball. We had somebody cry once when they were teaching. Well, I was like, why are you crying? <laughs> What are like automatic no's in terms of like questions that um, potential employees might ask? Oh, like you're the one getting interviewed? Like things not to ask. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, 
Well, they're usually going to give you sal. They'll give you salary information usually. So yeah, I would. I would. I would. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to disclose that, and HR is going to do it. And don't worry about bringing that up in your other interviews. So that's probably one. I mean, anything that anything that's sort of a red flag about like maybe maybe political. For us, it's political views. In fact, we just had one that he said some crazy stuff in his cover letter. <laughs> and it automatically it killed him. Like this guy's a radical. <laughs> it was wild stuff. And I'm like this guy, no way are we bringing it because we're looking for we're looking for moderate. Going to teach down the middle and teach the liberal and conservative students at the same time type of person, not you know. Can we have a sample of what he's uh, <laughs> 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 capitalized? <laughs> I'm writing my application from the January 6th riots now. <laughs> it was just a, it was like it, it, it was just a really like over the top like constitutional okay. radical stuff that alarmed a few of us. <laughs> so so don't do that. Um, don't keep that part secret. Anything that like maybe appears as a selfish question that that you wouldn't be a team player that you wouldn't So my thing when I got when I came and when I got when I first got hired my rule sort of was I'll do anything you guys want me to do. I will I just want to come to I'll teach any I mean I'm I'm glad for a specific job. I'll teach anything you want me to teach. I'll I'll volunteer for any committee. I'll do anything. I think that's the kind of the team player thing is what you want to portray. Um, not anything that would be the opposite of that. Or, or demanding, I want this and this and this. Yeah. Unless you're Tom Brady or something. Right? But other, can you guys think of anything else that might be? I wouldn't say anything like this is a bad, but like something you probably should do is express interest in like many areas. Yeah, express interest. In terms of the questions, the other, uh, like, you're not supposed to get into like the really, anything really personal, yeah. um, in, which is hard to do, not do in an interview. Um, you're supposed to keep it professional, and even like these days, I think like asking like about hobbies and stuff like that is kind of a no-no. What are your thoughts on like progression, like, like opportunities that be able to progress from that career? Like, what do you think about that? Like, what are my, you know, future progression? I think that's a great question. Like, what, what are, what are like, how can I advance in this organization? Yeah. What, what could this job? I think that's my ask. I think it's good. Yeah, but. Uh, this would also be in our interview process, probably after being accepted to hiring. But is there any room to debate like salary or benefits with the HR department or anything? Depending on the organization, and I think it's more true in the private sector than the public sector. But there's so. not here. <laughs> it is what it is. But any other no, I have a non I have a non disclosure agreement. Really? The only people that know my salary are my kids and my wife. Yeah. I I'm even I'm I can't even discuss my salary with anybody anybody else in the at the university. So I, I think it's actually a really good policy because you, you can imagine if all the professors are I make this and you make this and I mean we generally know it's based on experience and, and what your degree is so. Um, the longer you've been here, the more you're going to get paid. And then the other thing we do this night is they front load the salaries for when you're young. So there's big pay increases the first like seven years, and then it slows down, which is unique. Uh, they do it because of like family life and stuff like that. So I got I got all these 
really big raises the first few years, and now it's just cost of living raises, so which is fine. Um, and I tell you guys before, we have paid really well, so um, I can't say that, but I can't tell you the exact. I will say this, you'd be surprised, we make more than you think we make. So now you're going to be I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be on a yacht anytime soon. But uh, because we teach that extra we teach that extra semester and and all that and and I say that that that's true of the church in general, is that they do a good job of taking care of their employees, whether it's here or for Provo or whether it's church security folks or the employment office or or, or wherever. They're they're really good uh, to their employees, they always have been. So and we have all this money floating around as you know, right? And, in bank accounts. Yeah, the, well, there's not a ton of them, but like I think um, there's a there's public affairs stuff you can go do for the church. Government relations. Government relations stuff. Um, they need that kind of stuff, so that's a good area. Um, it's a little bit. Uh, a way, it's not perfect, a perfect path, but there's, I think there's a decent opportunities if you want to do it in the church education system, not as a teacher. Uh, the, but like diplomatic government relations stuff is probably lawyer stuff um, to, um, I have to post it, I don't I like security stuff, if you're, if you're like going down that path of like policing and system modification inside of the church. Why don't we have a career exploration class for Oh, We've talked about it over and over. We've talked about it for both majors. Like a 100 level. Yeah, yeah we almost added it like a dozen times. We should do, what we really should do now is have a one credit, it's both It's both political science and public administration and that's it's just the, it's like the other majors that they have. Yeah. You know, you meet once a week and you talk about it. I think it's great. Maybe now's the time to bring that back up again. Somebody's got to teach it. But... Oh yeah, like, I volunteer. The one I'm going to make so much money with that one extra credit. That's the one thing where we don't we don't when we do overloads. Overloads is anything beyond what you normally do. We don't make a ton of extra money for overloads. It's almost like ah, I don't want to do it. So, I actually get paid. I get overloads for internships. So for for being in charge of internships, I've enjoyed. But anyways, I've talked way too long. We need to get on to the activity here. So you're doing the recruitment and selection. I'm trying to remember specifically what can I borrow a I keep leaving my eye on my card. That's how dedicated I am. I just don't bring it in the building. I take it home and forget it in the car. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. So we did the classification, and we're all done with classification and compensation? Yeah, thanks. And now we're on, we did succession. <laughs> the time, the not too distant future. The scene, a college placement, oh, this is perfect. I've been talking about colleges. Um, Well, that's the reading. Okay, here we go. In this exercise, you will first devise and discuss a selection strategy for the job you analyze in exercise 10. You will then simulate a selection process by interviewing job applicants. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm reading this. We got, I remember now what we do. 
um, for police dispatcher job described in exercise 10. Um, so I don't know if we'll even get to this interview part today. Do you think? Review the job analysis and job description you completed in exercise 10. Assume that this position is vacant and you have been put in charge of filling it. Use forms everyone to outline and justify the set of selection procedures you plan to use. I, I don't think so. We have to fill out form 71, I think, first before we do this interview. Yeah, review the job description of police dispatcher provided on form 51. So let's just do this first part because we basically have like 20 minutes. And then let's, I think doing the mock interview is kind of good. So let's plan on, and don't let me forget, let's plan on doing those. Monday probably. Aren't we all online? No, Wednesday, 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 Friday. So yeah, Wednesday, Friday. We we start budgeting. So if we go, yeah, let's just. Oh, that's not supposed to say no. Sorry, that's why you're saying that. That's in person. Okay. I couldn't go a whole week without seeing you guys. Come on. So that's in person. So let's let's make sure. Don't let me forget that we're going to do. And I'll 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 either not discuss the reading or just do it super quick. Okay. So let's because I think that interviews is pretty good to practice. Has anybody practiced interviews before through the school? That's what I should maybe do. Like they do practice the practice ones, right? I, he's already making you guys do it. Yeah. So maybe I don't need to do it. <laughs> like, please no, brother Rose, don't do it. No. Come on. I'll interview you guys. I'll give you the hard question. Are you having a baby in the next one? That's a legal question. Brother Rose, sue him. Um, we are, we're actually doing a. At five o'clock today, we're doing a Newswander. I are doing a recruitment session downstairs. Try to get. We do it every semester. Try to get. Yeah. So, but freshmen will be there. So. You guys already know your major, so you're welcome to come if you want. But we're going to be down there um, talking about the major. You um, asked me yesterday to come to that just to give like a one or two minute like oh about the major. But I, I afterwards I was like, wait, does he know that I'm going to Oh, he, he, he doesn't know. I've taken all the classes, though. What did you tell him? I said, like, sure, I'll do it. Oh, you're, so you're planning on coming? Yeah. I'll you can just talk about the classes. If somebody, if somebody wants to come and, wants, and even wants to say something, they should have I think I'm taking, like, all the required classes. Everyone's forgetting, everyone's forgetting that you're a poli-sci major because you keep <laughs> showing up in all these classes. Okay, anyways, let's do the first part of this, and then we'll do the interview on Monday. Not everybody... I, the way we'll do it is not everybody will get interviewed, obviously, but we'll have some people do the interview and some people do the interview first. He always tells a really great, I always hate following him because he tells this great story about the, 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 the plot to assassinate Truman. Oh, yeah. does, he tell, does he talk about it in class? Yeah. Well, no, he's done it before. Oh, yeah, that's the story he tells, right? It's yeah. a good story uh, about kind of the failures of the assassination. Yeah. So, I think I can tell the uh, centralia mine story. <laughs> yeah. Long time ago, there's a mine explosion. I'll just do Columbine. 
pick it up a little. Oh, that's your email. Okay, we won't read that for a long time. All right. <laughs> All right. Better get, yeah, go ahead and get, just if you get the first form done, so just up to the interview. Don't fill out 72 I think so, yeah. We'll get Zawa Harry and Ben Lon off the board and put them in trouble. Gosh, I can't, but we're already heading to the last part of this class. That's the one where we made the jump. Oh, yeah, anytime, Cal. You're good anytime you want to come. In fact, that reminds me, I'm still recording, I think. I need to turn this off.